they were there when history was made. Rackham Tour is a storyteller. Welcome to the Sports Rackham Tour. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James at the buzzer! The Sports Rackham Tours dusts off the great American art of storytelling. From the players, coaches, media, the people who were there. Smith corks one in the right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. Go crazy. Now, here's Stephen Maggi. Perhaps the most exciting team in the history of college basketball might be the UNLV running Rebels back in 1990. It was an incredible team with an incredible coach. We're going to have somebody who saw it, was there. He was covering it at that time for the Las Vegas Sun. He also covered the Rebels later on for the Review Journal. Our good friend Steve Karp. Well, Steve, just how good was that team in 1990? Are they really one of the best of all time? I don't know about the best of all time because they, they suffered a few losses along the way. But they, they turned out to be very, very good when it mattered most during the NCAA tournament, particularly beating a very feisty Ball State team and a very emotionally charged Loyola Marymount team. Plus, if you remember, they also were down to Georgia Tech in the national semifinals. Everybody talks about the 30-point beatdown they gave Duke in the championship game in Denver, but a lot of people don't remember they were losing to Georgia Tech at halftime. That team that had Dennis Scott leading it. And UNLV had the rally to beat the Yellow Jackets to get to the championship game on Monday at Nichols Arena. Yeah, people forget about that, but I remember that Loyola Marymount. They were pretty charged up for that game, as I recall. It was really, you know, the, the two styles were very similar. They they'd actually played each other in Vegas in the preseason NIT back in November, and UNLV had beaten uh, Loyola Marymount that night. And they, <laughs> It's funny because things got a little heated toward the end of the game and into the tunnel after the game. There's some pushing and shoving and a lot of uh, woofing between the two teams. Hank Gathers was still very much alive back then. And uh, Larry Johnson was just starting out his UNLV uh, tenure. And so it was very interesting. It got very heated in that tunnel. So there was still, there was still some animosity left over from uh, the November game when they met in late March in Oakland, but uh, by then, obviously, Loyola Marymount's program had taken a very different uh, tenor to it with the death of Gathers, and their mission was much different. It wasn't about avenging a loss to UNLV in November. It was to honor the man's memory and try and win a title for Hank Gathers. Well, before we talk about that title game, let's talk about the UNLV team itself. They were loaded, right? I mean, Larry Johnson was the big star, but uh, it was a strong team uh, all the way around. It was a team that kind of came together in a very unique way. Uh, They were very diverse. Greg Anthony, who was from Dave's, played at Rancho High School, would be the starting point guard on this team. He went... 
to the University of Portland as a shooting guard and then transferred back to UNLV to come home after a year. And they worked him and made him a point guard. And Greg was a scorer in high school at Rancho. He was a scorer uh, in his first year at Portland. And so he had the learn to change his entire game, which he did, by the way, his sophomore year when they, uh, when they got beat in uh, Seattle on, the, on their way to trying to get to the 1989 Final Four when they lost to Seton Hall. But it was a very unique group of guys. They, they had uh, an interesting mix. Uh, you had a really tough inside defender in David Butler as your center. You had a exuberant type of scorer in Anderson Hunt. You had a, an athletic wing in Stacey Ogman. You had Larry Johnson, a Juco All-American from Texas, who was going to try to find his way and eventually would become the team's leader. Uh, you had guys like Stacey Sianovich, Travis Bice, Moses Scurry, Chris Jeter coming off the bench. It was a deep team that had a very good work ethic to it. And obviously, the one element that combines it all, the, the thread that runs through it all, is Tarkanian. Uh, these guys loved playing for him. They respected him. They worked very hard every day. Their practices were harder than their games. They would practice for three hours every day in a small windowless gym on the UNLV campus. Uh, there was no fancy thing like they have now at UNLV with their Mendenhall Center. This was a very Spartan place to play and practice every day. Let's talk a little about Tark, because Tark the Shark was quite the guy I remember growing up with him down at Long Beach State. He was always thought of as kind of a guy that he, he had this image of trying to bend the rules. And, of course, he had this whole battle with the NC2A. But people love playing for him, right? Not only at Long Beach State, but, uh, of course, at UNLV and even later in Fresno. Well, again, he had a great way of communicating with his players especially African-American players. You know what we're going through as a country right now in the aftermath of the, the George Floyd murder uh, in Minneapolis. Tarkadian was a, a white Armenian, a short guy. You know, he wasn't big in stature, but he respected everybody. And if you were African-American, you trusted him with your life and with your career. And... You know, this goes back to his JUCO days, coaching at Riverside and Pasadena City College in California. So, yeah, by the time he got to Long Beach, and he's, he's coaching guys like Ed Ratliff and, and uh, Jockey Trapp and, and, and some of these other guys, um, he had already had a reputation for being a good coach who really could motivate and, and game plan well and get his guys to execute. And so at UNLV, by the time you know he'd been there for so many years, he had a group of guys that were definitely motivated come 1990 to make a run at this thing. Well, you know, you mentioned that about his good reputation with the African-American players. Wasn't it when he was at Long Beach State that he had like three starters, and that was unheard of at the time, three starters that were African-American? Not so much in California, but in other parts of the country, you know, there was still a little resistance to play a black player. But, you know, most of the country uh, by then, by the early, 
you know, 70s was integrated uh, when it came to college basketball. Certainly, you know, UCLA, which was the program in the nation at the time under John Wooden, had more than its share of, of remarkable African-American players. And it starts with Lou Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And so it wasn't that unusual uh, by then. And, and of course, uh, when Tark got to UNLV and they made their first Final Four run in 1977 with that Hardway 8 group, which included Reggie Theus, Robert Smith, Sam Smith, and Larry Anderson, and Louis Moffitt, uh, naming five African-American players off the top of my head, they were pretty darn good. And, and Tark was a great recruiter. And, you know, look, the NCAA had its issues with him, obviously. And the fact that they were able to succeed as much as they did is a credit to his ability to keep the distractions from overwhelming the program. And that was hard to do. Well, wasn't he annoyed by the NCAA in the sense that, you know, you mentioned uh, John Wooden. Well, there was some thought that, you know, St. John could do whatever he wanted at UCLA. <laughs> he had to really going after Tarkanian. Well, yeah, and that's kind of where it all started with, with Tark because uh, he used to write a column in the Love of Each Press Telegram, and he kind of hinted at that, that, you know, how come the NCAA is not looking into Sam Gilbert, who was a booster of UCLA and uh, was taking care of John Wooden's guys? And uh, when, when that got out, you know, the NCA uh, kind of turned its sights on Tark and their battle was underway, and it, it lasted right up to the end of his day's coaching at, at Fresno State. You know, he was one of the few guys who had to beat the NCAA in court, even though uh, he originally had lost uh, in the Supreme Court. Eventually, he would would win a settlement from the NCAA for the uh, way they treated him. And, and look, it, it kept him out of the Hall of Fame for a long time. He should have been in long ago, but he did get in. He did live to see it, unlike... Eddie Sutton, who passed away recently and will not be able to obviously receive his uh, honor and induction in person, although he was alive when he got the word in April that he was going in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for Tark, he was a simple guy, but he was a complicated guy. He, he basically was all about winning, and he just wanted to be able to coach his team. He didn't like outside distractions. He was a big fan, though, of, of the people who covered him. If you were a newspaper guy like I was, and, and he got to know you and, and, and develop a relationship with him, that was very special. It's one of the things I'm most proud of in my career, that I was able to establish that kind of rapport. I actually helped write his column in the Las Vegas Sun toward the end of his time at UNLV. So uh, a lot of people don't know that. But um, he was a very... Very good coach. He knew how to motivate. He knew how to adjust. He was a good tactician. He surrounded himself with unbelievably good basketball people like Gergerich and um, Tate Locke, George McQuarn, Mark Warkentine, uh, Ed Gorgian, uh, Ron Adams, who has been with the Warriors. I mean, he had good basketball people around him because he always – didn't think he knew everything. A lot of coaches' egos would prevent them from deferring to their assistant coaches. Not Tark. Tark would listen. 
you know, and, and I think that was a big part of his success over his career. You know, the other thing, some people think that uh, all he was about was just uh, like a basketball factory. But I found interesting, you look back at the 1990 championship team, for example, 80% of the team finished with a degree. That's actually mm-hmm. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, look, you know, guys like Greg Anthony and Stacey Ogman, Larry, they, they all got their degrees. You know, Hunt didn't, but um, he actually did go back to school at some point. But yeah, most of these guys graduated, you know, look. You know, it wasn't a Bill Bradley you're going to, you know, Oxford or something. You know, it was a Rhodes Scholar. Although Dave Rice uh, almost got a Rhodes Scholarship. He was a finalist for one. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, sometimes the message got lost in in the uh, in all the stuff that was going on with the NCAA. And, and it got underreported that these guys did go to class for the most part. They did graduate. And, uh, again, while their GPA may have not been the highest on campus, uh, it was still decent, and, and uh, they took legit classes. That's, that's really good to hear. You know, it, it was interesting. When they were playing Duke back then, too, there was this – now everybody seems to dislike Duke because uh, they've won so much. But at the time, Duke was kind of the Cinderella team. I mean, even though they, they'd been close, just kind of like Tarkanian, Coach K back there was kind of doing the same thing where he hadn't won the big one, so somebody was going to win it. But I think what's interesting is when they were trying to make comments like that in the beginning, before the game, Tarkanian uh, shot back. He goes, it really upsets me. And this is an exact quote. He goes, because I've met some of the Duke kids. I don't think they're bad kids at all. And I thought, wow, that's what a great way to stick up for your guys and really to, to kind of ma- make a mockery out of what some of these perceptions were. Yeah, well, uh, like I said, Jerry had a, uh, a sharp wit. And, and he and Mike, by the way, were very good friends over the years. And um, Coach Shea had tremendous respect for Tark and, and his ability to coach and motivate and lead. Uh, as you know, Mike himself, uh, a captain in the U.S. Army, graduate of West Point leadership is everything to him. And naturally what he did with our Olympic team at USA Basketball, uh, the last few Olympiads, speaks for itself. So those two guys actually had a very good relationship and when Duke came back in 91 and avenged the loss in 90, when they beat him in Indy in the semis, you know, Tark didn't make any excuses. He, uh, he was disappointed, obviously, that uh, their quest to run the table and win in defending the national championship was denied. But at the same time, he also acknowledged Mike and Duke for having done uh, a good job that day in Indy. And the year before, of course, it was a pretty, uh, pretty big beatdown. Uh, One hundred three to seventy three. You were there. I mean, yeah. it was pretty much from start to finish. They kind of dominated. Was that just everything? Like you mentioned, they kind of were a great team. Was that just everything coming together? There were circumstances, obviously, that night, Steve, as that contributed to it. Probably the biggest factor was that for Duke, Bobby Hurley was battling the stomach flu. He was not 100%. He could barely bring the ball up the court. He just wasn't himself. And and when UNLV hit him with, I think it was, what, an 18 or something, 18 to 1 or 18 to 3 run to start the second half, it really did put the game out of reach. And, and there was no way Duke was coming back at that point. And so it kind of all fell into place for UNLV on, on that Monday night in the title game. 
they they were just mentally focused. They were certainly motivated, and of course. They felt like it was them against the world because the way everybody was portraying it, it was like, and you alluded to this, Duke being the good guys and UNLV being the, the evil cheaters from Vegas and, and what have you. And, of course, that, that wasn't the case. But the players certainly used it as, as motivation, and uh, they they performed. I mean, Anderson Hunt couldn't miss that night. He had 29 points, and Greg Anthony dominated Hurley. Uh, they had no response for Augman or, or Larry Johnson and, and David Butler and Scurry and Stacey Sianovich and and uh, Travis Spice. They all contributed and it was a uh, it was a very resounding performance and, and again we haven't seen one like that since really in, in the title game. And finally, when you think about this team, it's not a professional team, of course, but that was really the first shot of Vegas in regards to team sports where it just took over the town, right? And really, the the town loved them. Yeah, I mean, there was no Golden Knights. There were no Raiders. There was no Aces. There was no anything like that. It was occasionally a big fight, a big boxing match at Caesars Palace or the... Uh, convention center at the what was then the Las Vegas Hilton, and it was UNLV, and it was it was pretty simple. The, the city only had about three hundred three hundred fifty thousand residents at the time, so it was kind of like a, a small town. The college was everything. UNLV's sports teams were basically what kept everyone's interest aroused. Yeah, it was a, a special moment. The parade down. Fremont Street and down the Strip and the, the big uh, celebration back at the Thomas and Mack Center when they arrived back from Denver. It was a rallying point for the city. And then, of course, in the months and years ahead, it would divide the city because the president, Robert Maxson, who's not a fan of Jerry's, did everything he could to remove Jerry from uh, his job. And it, it caused a, an unbelievable divide in the city and that took years to heal. Honestly, UNLV has not been right since. Uh, they, they've only made a couple of runs in the NCAA tournament. I think Lon Kruger's team made it to the Sweet 16. I want to say it was 2008, I think, and, and lost to Wisconsin. Um, but Oregon, I forgot which it was. I wasn't covering the team anymore by then. But what they did in that stretch uh, when Tark was coach it's going to be very tough for anybody to replicate going forward at UNLV. Steve Karp, Hall of Fame sports writer in Nevada. Steve, uh, I, you got a couple of great places you can be read at. One is Gaming Today, and uh, the other, I believe, is uh, Sin, you're still doing the Simbin Vegas. At Gaming Today, uh, I write every week, and, and we're still up and running. And uh, we invite people to go to our website, gamingtoday.com. And if you. Uh, our hockey fan, uh, we're still selling our book, Vegas Born, The Remarkable Story of the Golden Knights. Go to our website, VegasBornBook.com. You can order your copy. Thanks, Steve. Make sure to follow Steve Carp. You know, nobody covers hockey better, and you can follow the Golden Knights on Sinbin Vegas and in gaming today. Go to the Vegas Never Sleeps website and check out the Sports Rockin' Tour page. You can hear bonus content from this conversation soon plus a number of other great sports stories. Don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. 
This is Stephen Maggi. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.